the middle of a sermon series called In Christ. And if you haven't worshipped with us recently, this series is an exposition of St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And I've outlined this series with three themes. The blessings we have in Christ, our position in Christ, and what it looks like to live life in Christ. And this follows the natural literary structure of St. Paul's writing. Chapter 1 explains our blessings in Christ. This is nothing that we have worked for, only that which God has lavished upon us. Election, predestination, salvation, redemption, adoption, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and our eternal inheritance. All of those things are gifts, nothing that we have worked for. Chapters 2 and 3 describe our position in Christ. Once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been made alive together with Christ. We once were alienated from the covenant of promise and God's people, but now we receive the benefits of being in covenant with God and the blessing of being a part of his spiritual temple among his people. Chapters 4 through 6 illustrate what it looks like to live life in Christ. Putting off sin and putting on righteousness. Living a life in accordance to God's law. In this sermon's te- or this morning's sermon text is Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 32. And this falls within the boundaries of that third theme living life in Christ. And so this morning, there are two things that I want you to see. First is this. I'm going to highlight five practical ways the Apostle Paul tells us to put off sin and put on righteousness. And then second, I want to consider what we, what we practically accomplish by putting off sin And putting on righteousness. I want to answer a motivation for why we would do this. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. I'm going to read our text and then pray. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ 
forgave you. Would you bow your head with me? Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your holy word. Help us to understand Paul's commands, admonitions, and exhortations. And then help us to put these things into practice here at All Saints Church. I pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's law comes to us in the form of negative prohibitions and positive commands. For example, in Leviticus 19.11, we read this, You shall not steal. This is a prohibition. One must abstain from theft. Likewise, there are also positive commands in God's law. And an example is found in Leviticus 19.10. We are told this, you shall give to the poor. Because of the nature of God's law, in his epistle to the Ephesians, St. Paul stresses the importance of obedience by abstinence as well as obedience through action. So thus far in his writing, the Apostle Paul has said to the Ephesians, they are to walk in good works, that's Ephesians 2 verse 10, and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they were called, that's Ephesians 4 1. And along with those two positive commands, St. Paul has also presented a negative prohibition by saying this, do not walk as the unbelievers do in immorality. That's Ephesians 4.17. And last week, I explained that this term walk is essentially a spiritual euphemism for living or the conduct of one's life. Essentially, when the Apostle Paul talks about walking, he is using a term to describe the manner and conduct of one's life. Furthermore, he states that there are ways in which one should walk and ways in which one should not walk. There are positive and negative ways of walking. And in this same vein of thinking, Paul has also used the terminology of putting off and Putting on. Putting off sin is adhering to the negative prohibitions of God's law. So, for example, if we go back to Leviticus, obedience to Leviticus 19.11 looks like putting off the sin of theft, abstaining from stealing. And putting on righteousness is equivalent to doing the positive commands of God's law. So again, Leviticus 19.10 looks like putting on the righteousness by giving to the poor. And as I've already said this morning, what we're going to do is look at five practical ways the Apostle Paul says to put off sin and put on righteousness. So let's begin by looking at verse 25. The Apostle says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Here in verse 25, the Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church 
to put off the sin of lying and to put on the righteous work of telling the truth. Now, there are two ways the Bible categorizes falsehood. First, it is the sin of deception. That is, lying to someone or communicating false information, communicating false doctrine. The second is the sin of lying about someone. And the Bible refers to this as slander, blasphemy, and false testimony. Here in verse 25, the Apostle Paul employs a term that is primarily applied to convey the idea of being deceitful or lying to someone. And one of the most common ways that Christians regress into the sin of falsehood is through the rumor mill. False statements and false accusations spread like wildfire among church people when we are not concerned with speaking the truth. And so with that, one of the most easiest ways to help the spread of falsehood, to not be deceitful through the rumor mill, is to ask three questions of any person coming to you with information. So the first is this. Do you have all the facts? Before we talk about this, do you and I know all the facts? Two, do you know the motivation? Before we engage in a conversation, do we know the motivation of what happened? And third, have you spoken to the person or parties involved? If the person coming to you cannot answer yes to at least two of those questions, then the practical wisdom, the wisest thing that you can say is this. For the sake of the truth, Let's hold off on discussing this matter until we have all the facts, know the motivation, and have spoken to the individuals involved. Being able to answer those three questions in the affirmative is very helpful in protecting the truth and not falling into the error of lying or deceit. As partakers of the New Covenant, St. Paul's words are authoritative for you and me this morning. You and I must put off the sin of lying and put on the righteous work of speaking the truth. And the real practical way of doing that is to nip things in the butt as they go about the rumor mill. So that is the first practical application. Put off lying, put on speaking the truth. Turn your attention to verses 26 and 27. Paul says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In these verses, St. Paul is telling the Christians in Ephesus to put off the sin of uncontrolled anger and to put on the righteous work of self-control. According to the apostle, one can be angry and yet not fly off the handle and sin. And we see this demonstrated by our Heavenly Father. God reveals that He Himself is capable of anger. Yet, He also describes Himself as being a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He also reveals this about himself, that he remembers our frame. That he is patient because he recognizes our childlike nature. He knows that we are finite, and he is patient with us. For you and I, we can be justifiably angry with our children or our spouse and even other church members. And that could be for a variety of reasons. However, in our anger, we are not to respond to one another with fits of rage or fury. Instead, we are to exercise self-control and in a regulated manner address those whom we are angry with. As members of the household of God, you and I are to put off the sin of uncontrolled anger and put on the righteous work of self-control. This is the second practical application. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The Apostle Paul says that as Christians, we are to put off the sin of stealing and put on the righteous work of vocation that leads to provision. As mentioned earlier, God's law not only prohibits theft, but it also commands generosity. Proverbs 14.21 sums up the law of God this way. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. St. Paul says that one should not only put down and put off the sin of stealing, but one is also to pick up a vocation that provides for themselves and allows them to give generously to those who are in need. And this is an argument against the Robin Hood mentality of stealing from the rich in order to give to the poor. According to the Apostle, one's personal industry and productivity should be the means that produce wealth, which can then be given voluntarily and generously to those in need. As citizens of God's kingdom, you and I are to honor his law and put off the sin of theft and put on the righteous work of vocation. That is the third practical application. Now consider verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul's admonition in this verse is for the Ephesians to put off the sin of harmful speech and put on the righteous work of helpful speech. Our old sinful selves have a proclivity to point out and exaggerate the flaws in others. We are quick to draw attention to how other people should grow and mature. Also, we are prone to think the worst of people. 
Rarely do we give others grace and assume that they have been misunderstood or misrepresented. In all honesty, we act like others do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, even though we are members of the same body. And this is not the way that you and I want to be treated. Instead, we want others to speak to our strong points and elaborate on the things that you and I do well. We want people in the church to always assume the best of our intentions and our motives. Now, there is a place for corrective assessment and criticism for the sake of growth and maturity. But, rarely do we offer our critiques of others at the appropriate time and place and for the sake of seeing them flourish. More times than not, we speak about the faults of others in order to question their authority, diminish their character, or discredit their opinion. But, the Apostle Paul says we are to put off this type of harmful speech, and we are to put on the type of speech that is gracious and builds others up. Speech that is encouraging and affirming. We are to put on speech that speaks to the strength of others and always assumes the best of our brothers and sisters. This is the fourth practical application. Draw your attention to verses 30 through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In these three verses, St. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus to put off the sin of unforgiveness and to put on the righteous work of forgiving in verse 31, the sin of unforgiveness is characterized by bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. When Christians withhold forgiveness from one another, we become miserable people. We become bitter and angry, and often we become slanderous. I mentioned earlier that the Bible deals with falsehood in two ways. And the word for slander that Paul uses here can also be translated as lying or bearing false testimony. As you and I withhold forgiveness from one another, we are prone to engage in slander. We have a proclivity to gossip about the person who sinned against us, and often we speak in exaggerated terms. But, as we live the new life in Christ, this should not be so. In verse 30, Paul says, when Christians withhold forgiveness from one another, this grieves the Holy Spirit. In fact, none of these traits listed in verse 32 should characterize our walk or manner of conduct. Instead, Paul says we are to forgive as we have been forgiven 
And in verse 32, the righteous work of forgiveness is characterized by kindness and tenderheartedness as demonstrated by God, as he forgave us through the substitutionary and atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. You've heard me say this before. The person who truly understands the gospel will truly forgive those who have sinned against them. Because the person who truly understands the gospel realizes that all they truly deserve from God is judgment and wrath for their sin. But they realize that God being rich in mercy has truly forgiven them. Therefore, they are quick to forgive just as God has forgiven them in Christ Jesus. Speaking to this point, Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, says it this way. The moral debt of wrongdoing, of sinful words and acts against us, is virtually nothing compared to our debt to God. Now, that is not to minimize the seriousness of hurts or damages you may have experienced. And I'll pause for a moment and say this. There are many people in this room I recognize who have been grievously sinned against. Jerry Bridges is recognizing that as he writes this, and I recognize it as I quote him this morning. He goes on. But compared to the damage each of us has done to God's glory, it's a small amount. Therefore, the basis of our forgiving one another then is the enormity of God's forgiveness toward us. We are to forgive because we have been forgiven so much. Dear saints, you and I are to put off the sin of withholding forgiveness, and we are to put on the righteous work of extending forgiveness to everyone who has sinned against us. Because we have been forgiven by an eternal and holy God. This is the fifth practical application. So these five practical ways of putting off sin and putting on righteousness is the first thing that I wanted you to see this morning. And with that, I said something last week that I need to reiterate again today. And that is this. As the Apostle Paul calls us and commands us and exhorts us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and to walk in good works and not walk like unbelievers. As he exhorts us and commands us and admonishes us to put off sin in all of these ways and to put on righteousness, you and I do need to remember this. We cannot put off sin and put off righteousness in our own strength. This can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us as we are in Christ, positioned in him by grace through faith. Therefore, as you strive to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, be quick to ask the Heavenly Father for the Spirit's power so that we might live like Christ. 
So that's the first thing I wanted you to see. Five practical put off and put on. Now, the second thing I want to address this morning is this. What is it that we are practically accomplishing by putting off sin and putting on righteousness? What is functionally taking place in our lives as we heed the words of the apostle? Last week I said this. The motivation for putting off and putting on is not to earn our acceptance with God or our justification. Instead, the motivation is simply because God is worthy of our obedience and worship. He is worthy of our love. And this is true, and it is vitally important to lay a hold of. But with that, this week, in these verses, verses 25 through 32, we see a second motivation for putting off and putting on. And that is this, love for our neighbors, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. In verse 25, Paul says to put off falsehood and speak the truth because we are members one of another. In verse 27, we are told to not let the sun go down on our anger so that we don't create an opportunity for the devil to sow discord among brothers. In verse 28, the thief is told to put off the sin of theft and put on the good work of vocation so that he can share with any neighbor who is in need. In verse 29, the motivation for having helpful speech is to build others up within the body of Christ. And in verse 30, the unforgiveness among believers is what grieves the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 32, kindness and tenderheartedness are directed toward believers one to another. You see, the first and greatest motivation for putting off sin and putting on righteousness is love for God. Demonstrated through worship. Demonstrated through obedience. God is glorified when we do good works. And the second motivation, which we see this morning, is like the first. And it is for one another, as we have been loved by God. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And we are to love our neighbor ourselves. And this, he says, sums up the law and the prophets. Loving God and loving neighbor. So then, how do you love your neighbor? How do you love your spouse and your children? How do you love the people in this church? Well, you put off the sin of lying and you put on the righteous work of telling the truth. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love your children? How do you love your wife? You put off the sin of uncontrolled anger and you put on the righteous work of self-control. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love the people you live with? 
your neighbors literally speaking. Well, you put off the sin of stealing and theft, and you put on the righteous work of vocation. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love the people in this church? You put off the harmful speech that tears people down, and you put on the righteous work of helpful speech. How do you love your neighbor? You put off the sin of unforgiveness, and you put on the righteous work of forgiving others in the same way that you have been forgiven by Christ. That is how you love your neighbor. And it's a motivation that is clearly here in the text as Paul connects every single one of these things to the very fact that we are members one of another. Now, you may be sitting here this morning overwhelmed by guilt and shame because the law of God is a mirror and when we look at it, we see where we have sinned and violated the law of God. And so in this moment, you may be feeling that. But here's the reality. All of us have broken God's law. The mirror is a reality for each and every one of us in this room. And the good news is this. First John tells us that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, who was our propitiation for our sins. And he goes on, if anyone confesses their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So, dear brother and dear sister, if you are sitting here this morning feeling convicted by the weight of God's law, my exhortation to you, my admonishment to you is this. Run to your mediator, Christ. Trust in his work and confess your sins to the Father and repent. Turn away from sin. Put off sin and put on righteousness. Dear saints, this morning I pray that you do understand these five practical ways of putting off sin and putting on righteousness. I pray that you see how by doing these things, we are actually loving one another. And more importantly, I pray that you would purpose in your heart and mind to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you bow your head with me as I pray? And we pray together, bringing our petitions to the Father. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you have brought us together as a body. You have brought us together as a church. And you have called us to love one another. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit to do just that. That we would practically flesh out the text of Ephesians verses 25 through 32 and put off the old way of sin and put on the new way of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.